on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. Job Dean Cox again, this time he's in! At the second time of asking, Dean Cox takes Leighton Orient a step closer to Wembley. Carroll. Jonathan Tahue. Capable of anything. Tahue! Equaliser for Leighton Orient! We're not a city, we're not a town. We're the only one of us around And you know where we can be found When Saturday comes again We'll be trying to do our best To cheer all those on who wear the best Whatever challenge, whatever test We'll lay an Orient from each end well, good evening, everybody. Hope you've had a great day. We've had a great day. We've all made our way to Brentwood, and I'm joined in the studio by uh, none other than Mr. Steve Tung. Good evening, Steve. Hello, Andy. Hello, everyone. And uh, Richard Priest is uh, to the rescue as we struggle. We struggled <laughs> a bit. Didn't we? we had yeah. a few fall out, like the entire panel. <laughs> It's all right, we'll cope, we'll cope. We'll cope, we'll cope, yeah. It's, it's that end of season stuff, isn't it, when uh, people are away on holiday and things like that. Um, and the good news is we'll be joined by Leighton Orient Royalty in a little while. We're in the shape of Matthew Lockwood, and uh, I think he's, he's in the all-time lists of many of us, Steve. Yes, um, brought back some great memories this afternoon uh, going through Matt Simpson's terrific book uh, called Late Orient Greats, which um, in alphabetical order goes from Peter Allen down to Tommy Taylor. Um, I obviously remember bits and pieces of Matt from time to time, but it filled in a lot of gaps. And just the fact that he was here for nine seasons and mm. for most of that time was so good that there always appeared to be other clubs interested in him. Um, and the impression from the uh, from the interview, and I'm sure it's the case, is that frequently we were a bit unusual for Leighton Orient, really. We, we didn't let him go. We held on to him because the club were asking uh, too much money. And Barry Hearn, as we know, um, shrewd businessman that he was, wasn't going to let him go cheaply. Mm. But uh, And Matt, to his, his great credit, I mean, never, never made a fuss about it, never wanted away as such. And in the end, I, I suspect we might hear from him was quite disappointing in the end when he got to Nottingham Forest and really didn't get much of a run there yeah. at what, what could have been a higher level. I mean, I, I just digressing now, I mean, you say we didn't, you know, we didn't take the um, the money. I, I remember years ago, Kevin Dickinson said to me that he was, he, he was rather disappointed. West Ham had uh, bid £100,000 for him and Orient had turned it down, which, and of course, I mean, he was he was a bit gutsy, I think. You know, there was a chance to play a, a good level there. But, uh, you know, it, it didn't... And I said to him, didn't, didn't you get the hump? He went, no, nah, it's one of those things, isn't it? He said they, they, didn't, want, that's he said they didn't want me to go. They didn't want me to go. So, uh, But um, it would have changed his life, obviously, I think, financially. But there you go. Anyway, I mean, uh, not a lot's been happening, Steve. But um, good to see Tom James uh, put pen to paper, wasn't it? 
Yes, that's terrific. I, um, I think I surprised one or two the last time we were on when I said uh, I thought it was more important to keep Tom James than, than Rule Satiriu. Uh, obviously, we hope that we're going to hear good news about Theo as well. The, the slight complication there, obviously, is that Luke Lincoln, having sacked their manager, who clearly didn't want anything to do with Theo anymore, uh, have brought in a new man. And when the new man comes in, maybe he's looking at all the possibilities he's got available. And we must hope he hasn't heard uh, the reports being too good from the Orient. About, yeah, about Mark, Theo Kennedy, actually, who, Mark Kennedy, who's coming to Lincoln, was actually Theo's manager at Macclesfield when he was doing well. So he does actually know him, so that, that could be interesting. Mm. But the impression we got certainly was that Theo was very happy here, wasn't he, and loved, yeah. loved London. I think when Richie Wellens was, was sitting in that seat that you're in now, about, what was it, three weeks ago, he was... Uh, he seemed very confident, and, uh, and you know, Theo was always pleasing to hear when, and it's another thing that comes out with Matt Lockwood that, that people like Orient as a club and they do all mm. say it's not just a myth you know people do all say what a friendly club it is and how much they enjoy being here so we, we have to hope that that will count for something as well I guess I think it would though Richard because uh, you know I know we you know we're taking away the the housing and you know moving uh, issues if you're at a workplace that you're, you're happy and you're getting on with people and the place where they didn't want you before are saying, no, actually, come back and we'll have another go. And you think, well, actually, I'm really wanted now and I've enjoyed myself. And uh, so long as the housing side of things isn't an issue, I, I, I can't see many people going, oh, all right, then I'll go back to you. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's been, it's a year he's been not been there either, like the whole of yeah. last season. So it's not just sort of a three-month loan or, you know, a, a month to fill in or whatever. So he, he's been here for a long time now and he's... You know, he's made a lot of friends. He certainly knows that the fans, what the fans think of him, I think, as well. So, mm. um, so yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised if we, we don't, unless Lincoln literally do what Orient do and <laughs> refuse him to the move, maybe, like we did with Matt Lockwood and mm. Kevin Dickinson. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got to be careful then because people <laughs> <laughs> might get the hump and not put in the effort that you, uh, you, you want. I mean, they're still, we're waiting on, I mean, I guess Archibald and Mitchell would be the two that people are... Yeah, uh, the ones we had on loan, certainly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the ones on loan. You know, as Richie are... said, Mill will want to take a look at Mitchell next year. I mean, you know, they want to look at him in pre-season, fair enough. So there's there's every chance, I think, that, you know, the step up to the championship might be... I mean, he's had a very good season. I think he's been our most consistent defender. Um, so I, I don't think he'll be playing at Mill, but they might, you know, they may want him on the bench or, or in the squad for next season. Mm. Um, but, you know, I'd have no problems. I mean, it's been mentioned to me by a couple of people that they're not sure he maybe fits Richie Welland's style of possibly sort of maybe playing out from the back a bit. And, you know, he's more of a just clear the ball. But, you know, that does me for a defender. That's all I'm looking for, really, sometimes. But um, so I'd definitely have him back, you know. But uh, that'd be interesting. I mean, Richie never closed the door on him when he was talking to us a few weeks ago. So you never know. He did also point out that, of course, at this moment, we've got four centaurs. We tended to forget about poor old Dan Happy because he got such a bad injury. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he will come back. You know, you hope very much, as with Craig Clay, that they've really got over the injury. Sometimes, of course, players have a particularly bad one and they're just never quite the same player again. But but with, with Beckles and Shah, who had a lot of games together, and Adam Thompson, who, as you say, may be more of a Richie Wellens. I mean, he's a bit more that type of, of player. Yeah. Playing and he may out, play centre-back more. And, now, yes, yeah. yes, and, can, and covered very well at... at fullback as well so you know there's four there already so uh, although although Alex did very well it's uh, assuming Dan Happy comes back has a good pre-season um, it wouldn't be a disaster and they might well decide um, when they have to manage the budgets and decide who they can and can't afford to get in that, that those four would would do quite happily for now 
Okay, okay. Now, just before we go to any other Orient news or on to uh, Matt Lockwood, um, walking football seems to be uh, taking a bit of uh, centre stage, and you, uh, I believe there's a tour, Steve. I nearly told you I couldn't come in tonight because I should have been at home packing. Um, let me explain very briefly, first of all, that uh, Leighton Orient Walking Football Club has probably been going five or six years now. Uh, it's probably one of the, uh, the fastest-growing sports in the country um, for all sorts of reasons. I think there are different reasons people get involved. Um, those who've played and, and stopped playing 11-a-side football, those who, like myself, stopped playing it at, at quite an early age and just want to get involved in playing the game again, and people who, who haven't played much football at all but who are uh, just attracted to it for the reasons that we, we love playing football anyway, the, uh, the social side of it, the, the camaraderie and, and the fitness levels. So it, it really is catching on. And uh, yes, just briefly, Orient are going off to a tournament in Mallorca tomorrow, which takes place over the weekend. Uh, that Ideally, we go to every year, but of course it didn't take place during the COVID years. Um, and so we'll be wearing the Orient shirt. And if anybody wants to go onto Facebook on Leighton Orient Walking Football, you'll see all the details of, uh, of how you can sign up and you'll be made very welcome. I'll just say welcome on that word to Matt Lockwood, who's, I think, hanging on the line patiently. Good evening, Matt. Evening, guys. How are you? All well. All well and good. And uh, where are you, Edinburgh, is it? Yep, Edinburgh. Yep, in uh, sunny Scotland. Edinburgh in sunny Scotland. There you are. And Steve's saying to me, turn you up, turn him up. He can't, he can't hear you very well, so I've turned you up now. And we're just talking about walking football. Have you had any experience of that? No, but that is definitely up my street. Now. <laughs> uh, I was going to say. To be fair, some people probably said that I've been uh, playing that for about 20 years. But, um, yeah, my, my body is falling to bits now. So uh, walking football has definitely got my name written all over it. Matt, I was, I was sorry to hear that you're in Edinburgh because I've been uh, desperately trying to sign up one or two old Orient players. I had high hopes at one stage of getting Peter Kitchen, who might have been quite useful up front for us. I think he could have done a job. Um, but poor old Peter, one of his knees, he said, is just gone. And I think it's probably something that we, we underestimate a bit, just how many uh, former pros are, are carrying those sort of injuries, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you, if you think how often you train, and um, especially back in the day when you know, the surfaces probably weren't as manicured as they are now, um, you know, the injuries are, are there. I mean, all the guys I speak to that are my sort of age, you know, they do they do struggle. I mean, I, I still I still play football um, up 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 here. We've got sort of like a, a regular five a side game we play, and we we set up a vets team as well. Um, you know, but I do pick up the odd injury. You know, I sort of pull sort of muscles and stuff that you never would have done as a as a younger person. But then you know, you're, you're not training every day. You're not stretching. You're not doing the right things. You just turn up. Um, and try and go and uh, roll back the years, and it doesn't quite work out as you uh, want it to. No, I was just saying that um, uh, I think for a lot of people, it's a very good step, next step from vets football, because when you people are playing into their 40s and 50s even, and uh, the body is telling them they really should be stopping, that um, it... it 
it is a logical step to move on to the walking football. Uh, people always say, isn't it hard to uh, stop yourself running? And yes, it is. Um, but it's also quite beneficial to the old, uh, the old knees and the rest. So um, it's been, uh, been terrific. And, and pleasingly, you know, Orient, a lot of these things are done through the community trust at the club, which at Orient is still very, uh, very active and, and does very good work in the community. And, um, and they've been very supportive too. So it, it's, been a, it's been a great uh, few years for the club. Now, before we... No, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, before we uh, go on to uh, football matters, Matt, um, you've been keeping busy anyway up there, haven't you, with, your, with the golf and uh, with uh, football commentary, I believe? Yeah, so I've been doing the commentary for about 10 years now for BBC London. Um, so we cover all the London teams, bar Chelsea and Arsenal. Um, and, you know, because I live in Edinburgh, I do all the, uh, the games sort of in the north of England. So I'll cover games at Newcastle, Leeds, Burnley, um, Man, Man U, Man City, Liverpool, Everton. Um, and then if the championship teams are sort of doing well, so like obviously Fulham this year mm-hmm. and Millwall were sort of sniffing around the playoffs at, at sort of towards the end of the season, then I would go down and do games at sort of, you know, Middlesbrough. Um, I went down to Preston. I, I went as far south as Birmingham actually to, to cover Millwall. Um, you know, I just try and make myself as available as possible because I really enjoy it. Obviously, and you, you know, you, you've done it, you know, a, a long, long time. Um, you know, and it, it, it's just fun. It's you watch, you watch good football, you get to talk about it, and um, there are definitely worse jobs in the world to mm. do. That's for sure. Well, it's certainly. I've been, I said the other week, it's a commentator's dream when you've got uh, the, an ex-professional as your co-commentator, because um, with all due respect to you know any journo's doing it as well, to have that. Uh, professional expertise and the, 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 the finer points explained to people as to why that's happened. As I always say, the commentator's job is to explain the obvious or, or to say the obvious. The, the, the uh, specialist next to you can, uh, can go into detail as to why such a thing is happening or has happened. And uh, I think that, that's good for the viewer or the listener. I think it gives them the whole package then. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I covered the, um, the Liverpool Spurs game a couple of weeks ago. And I actually worked with a commentator that I've never worked with before. Bearing in mind, you know, I normally just work with the same guys as, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sort of Nick, Nick Godwin and um, Phil Parry and, and, and the gang at BBC London there. Um, you know, and, and they're all great guys. And having worked with them over the years, you just get to know how each other other works and you know when they're going to stop talking and when you need to come in and give your yep. opinion. Um you know, and so you know, you've got Andy Rowley, you've got Matt Newson down there, which is all which is all brilliant, and they're all such good guys. You know, I, I really enjoy spending time with them, and actually sort of covering the game. It, it, it's the fun, and uh, but I, I did the Liverpool Spurs game with um, with sort of a new, a new guy that they uh, brought in, sort of as a bit of a freelancer because he's based up north. Um, and he said exactly that after the game. He said, "Oh, I really enjoy doing it with ex-pros because you just sort of look at the game differently to us. Yes, we can." describe what's going on and, you know, explain to the listeners, you know, that, uh, you know, Salah plays it to Mane and Mane shoots and scores or whatever. But he said, you know, you actually sort of go into that detail and sort of see what Tottenham could do to stop Liverpool attacking or how they're actually going about it, what their game plan is. And, uh, and you know, it is and, and, and it's enjoyable. And the fact that you get those two different sort of viewpoints 
does make it uh, a lot more interesting, I hope, for the listeners. I mean, Steve, um, Steve's you know, done a, a fair bit of commentary. In fact, I mean, you might be, and I, I don't hate to say this with Steve in the room, you might be too young to remember, but uh, Steve was very much the, the voice of LBC uh, in, in the 80s and early 90s. And, uh, he done it, you, you actually commentated on the FA Cup final, didn't you? Yes, well, LBC had a terrific run. Uh, LBC, uh, for you youngsters, started in the early 70s, about 1973, and of course London had a terrific run uh, round about th- from the mid-70s, I suppose, the uh, West Ham-Fulham the Cockney Cup final, um, through to all those Arsenal and Tottenham successes. Um, and so there, were, there was an awful lot of interest in, in London football generally. What I, what I wondered, Matt, was um, whether nevertheless when you're sitting there and uh, you see those players out on the pitch, whether you, you obviously everyone misses not being involved playing, but I thought you had ambitions at one time to go into coaching and, and management. And tell us a bit about um, how that happened or didn't happen and, and whether you, you regret that now. No, so, I mean, yeah, I had ambitions to do it and I've still got ambitions to do it. Um, you know, and I you know, apply for jobs and see what comes up. But I think it's one of those that when you come out of the, out of the game for a little while, it's very difficult to get back in. And my biggest thing was I couldn't afford to start at the bottom. I couldn't afford to go and earn, you know, 15 grand a year being a youth team manager somewhere. Um, you know, I have children and I have a uh, you know bills to pay um, and it came you know for me it came down to finances um, I, I didn't have a, a big enough reputation to go and walk into a job you know like the likes of sort of Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, Wayne Rooney all these guys that you know owners of football clubs will definitely give them a job even though they've got no experience because of who they are and who they played under and I understand that I'm not stupid I know the way the world works um, you know, they're going to put bums on the seats. They're going to get fans excited. Where, let's be honest, there's probably only two clubs in this world that would be excited or remotely interested if I got the job, and that's Leighton Orient and Dundee, because both of those clubs I did very well at. And, um, you know, I think the fans like me at both clubs. So, you know, if I'd have, if I'd have sort of started my managerial route at one of those clubs, then you've probably got half a chance to be given that opportunity where the fans were like, OK, well, let's see what he can do. Um, but, you know, the opportunity has never, never sort of um, presented itself. So I haven't gone down that route yet. Um, but it is something that I am, you know, interested in. Obviously, why wouldn't you? You know, it's, it's the, when you see the likes of, you know, sort of Dean Smith and, and these guys doing so, so well at it, um, you know, you, you always wonder, you know, could, could I do that? Are my man management skills good enough to get the best out of players and to improve players because I think they are um, but again until someone gives you uh, that opportunity then you, you never you never quite know but um, that's just football isn't it that's, uh, that's just the way the world works you need to be in it to win it as they say Yep, it's a difficult business. It's a very, very cutthroat business, isn't it? I mean, up in Scotland, I'm just just digressing a moment uh, with Rangers doing so well. Has it made a difference? I mean, how important is that to Scottish football? Say again, sorry? I said, with Rangers doing so well in Europe, is that making a big difference to the esteem of Scottish football up there? Um, I mean, I can't wait for the game tonight. I must admit, I think it could really help the game. But... Let's be honest, I think down south people look at Scottish football and don't give it the respect it maybe deserves. Um, don't get me wrong, you take Celtic and Rangers out, the rest of the you know, SPL, the standard isn't brilliant. 
is probably very similar. I think, you know, if Leighton, if, if Orient came and played in the SPL, um, you know, I think they would do okay. You know, I don't, I don't think they would get relegated. Um, obviously, they came up last year, didn't they, and played Dundee in pre-season. But they only had about six first-team players at that time, didn't they? It was all sort of the youth, youth boys that came up and played. Um, so I, I, I would probably put, apart from Celtic and Rangers, I'd probably put the SPL at sort of, you know, League One, League Two sort of level. Um, wow, that's less than I know, thought, I, actually. Lower than I thought. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just tough because there's no money up here in, in the game. Mm. Um, you know, they haven't got the fan bases and uh, it, is, it is difficult. But obviously the, big, the bigger clubs, like your Hearts and your Hibs and your Aberdeen, they do pay decent money. Um, but ultimately, the, uh, that carrot of going down south and playing in England where there's so many more opportunities, there aren't you know, three or four clubs you can play for, there are 30 or 40 you can go to. Um, all, the be- all the best talented boys want to, want to go down south, and rightly so. I, I, uh, you know, I totally agree with them. I, I would if I was them. But um, you know, I did it the other way, didn't I? I had my career down south and then came up here once uh, no one else down south wanted to employ me. So are, you, um, are you still applying for roles at the moment in coaching or anything, Matt? Say again, sorry? Are you still applying for roles in coaching then at the moment, or...? Yeah, yeah. When when roles that come up that interest me, um, yeah. I definitely so if there was something back well. down south, you would you would come back down south if that if that was the way it worked. Oh, of course I would. Yeah, I mean, you know, we live we live in Edinburgh because this is where I sort of finished my career. Um, but it's yeah. I mean, my wife and I we've discussed this at length, and whether it was in football or out of football, you know, because ultimately you know, I've got quite a few strings to my bow now, um, having retired. A while ago, I've done lots of different things, and my CV is, is you know, sort of quite—I um, don't know what the, what the word would be—but extensive, it's, you know, extensive. Into, yeah, exactly. It has, it has, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing a lot of different things. Um, so, if a job in football, out of football, anywhere came up in London or you know America, wherever you, you would go, if, if, if the opportunity was correct and it was going to improve my career and my life with my family then you know, listen I, I'm not I'm not stupid I think anyone would move anywhere if the money was right um, but you know if a, if a dream job came up um, then of course I would move it's uh, yeah we're, we're here because we can be at the moment with what I'm doing um, but yeah we would we would certainly move if uh, an opportunity arose Matt, just taking you back to your Orient days, um, I mean, nine years here was remarkable. And what I thought was all equally remarkable was that you really only had three managers in that time, Tommy Taylor and then Paul Brush for a while and then Martin Ling. Um, give, a, give us an idea of those three as managers and the sort of things that you might or might not take from them. I mean, the three of them are just completely different. You couldn't get three more different characters. And I think that just sort of shows how Barry used to run the club. Um, you know, he wasn't a hire and fire them sort of chairman. He did his due diligence on the managers and he picked the guys that he saw something in and he felt that could do the job. And then he worked with them to be successful. It wasn't a case of, oh, I've employed you now. Right, um, you're on your own. If you, if you mess up, then um, that's it. Um, I mean, I haven't actually read Barry's new book yet. I don't, I don't even know if it's out sale and the general public. I've, I've been lucky enough to have been sent a copy um, and Barry has 
and um, you know personalised it to me, which is very very nice of him. So, uh, but uh, I've I've been away for a couple of days and I've just got back and it was sitting on the uh, on the um, kitchen table when I when I got back. So that was nice to see. Um, so I'll, I'll be uh, reading that in the uh, the next few few sort of weeks. Um, but I think where managers knew with Barry that they would work together and and try and be as successful as they could for the club, then it gave them that little bit of job security. Um, and I think probably Brushy was the only one that maybe didn't last the you know didn't last very long um, because you know results and uh, league table sort of I suppose um, led that to happen. Um, but Barry wouldn't have wanted to to, to sack anyone. Um, he want you know he wants his employees to be successful, whether they're the managers or the or the players. Um, you know he, he's loyal like that, and and that's what I always sort of really respected about Barry. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, Tommy was was really old school, wasn't it? He, uh, you know, it was didn't reign by fear, but he was a big guy and he was very commanding, and um, you know, you knew exactly what you wanted of him. Sort of Brushy was the complete opposite. Um, was very, you know, a, a much softer character. Um, where potentially, as a manager, players, you know, could take advantage of that, um, and and probably some did. And then, you know, Lingy came in and, and was really successful, wasn't he? For the five five or six years he was in charge there. Um, you know, he got, he got a, a really good team together um, of good characters. Because I think I think that is the biggest thing. And, and the most successful teams, I think, are the ones with the real good team spirit. Or the best the best teams I've ever played for, the ones with the best team, team spirit. And, and that team that... Um, Lingy built the one obviously that when we went up against Oxford and stuff that year we were really really close um, you know we weren't, we weren't a big physical team I mean you look at the midfield when you've got Joe Keith on the left you know you've got um, Craig East and Michael Simpson in the middle and then Shane Tudor on the uh, on the right I mean the biggest one there is Eastie at what five foot nine um, <laughs> it's yeah you know we, were, we weren't big we weren't physical but what we were is we were well organised we were good players good footballers and we had that team spirit where we would run that extra yard for your team if they made a mistake um, to try and get back and help out. It was and, very uh, different I mean, styles, back... Matt, wasn't it? it was different, under different managers there, the style of football. I mean, you say under Lingy at the end there. I mean, I've got to say that that the passing and movement of that side was the most superior of of, of all the the managers you're talking about. You know, at that period of time, I thought we played really good football that season. We kept it on the floor. We passed it well. But then, when you look at the manager, when he was a player, he was a passing player, wasn't he? You know, he, he, he was. He was. And, and and those were the players that he wanted to bring on. And the way we played wasn't necessarily down to Lingy turning around to us and saying, "Right, when we get the ball." We're going to pass there. We're going to pass there. He allowed us to go and play our natural game because he trusted our ability. The fact that he'd recruited us, knowing the sort of players he wanted, and said, "Right, if you guys go out and play your natural game, then that is a passing game because we can't go long because we haven't got any big lumps in the team." <laughs> um, and, it, and it just worked. It really, it really did. And uh, obviously, that season is a favourite year of loads of. Orient fans, isn't it? Even still, um, I mean, you know, whenever it's the anniversary of that game, it's always on social media. People plugging mm. it, and the, and the video comes back out um, of the archives, and, and people do watch it. Um, and you know, rightly so, because we, we did have a good good little team that year. And the fact that we we're still all on the same um, WhatsApp group chat, all still chat away um, from time to time, you know, it, it, it just shows 
that um, that bond was there and uh, that's why success sort of came from that. I mean, it is vital, isn't it, to get that sort of bond in, in, in the dressing room and for any, any club. And I think that's, that's something that Richie Wellens is you know, striving hard to do as he comes in the door after you know, a season where, for whatever reason, you know, the, the, the wheels fell off the wagon and um, the players looked uh, uninterested and all of a sudden the season collapsed and we went from promotion hopefuls to you know, a, 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 the spectre of relegation becoming a reality. And, and Richie's got a, a hard job in a way, to, to, but he's, he's, I think he's grasped it by the neck and, and the players are bonding again. And that's the thing, and, and you know, I, I don't know Richie at all. Obviously, I played against him when he was at Blackpool back oh, in the day. Don't talk about it. Don't um, talk about that. <laughs> yeah, but I, so, I, I, so I, I don't know what he's like. But you know, I know what Kenny Jackett is like as, as a as a person, as a manager, and they're probably completely different again. So you know, Kenny Kenny goes in, and um, he had the experience, and everyone thought, right, this is the appointment that's going to bring success back to the club and get us promoted back to League One. Um, and it didn't work out for whatever reason. And but I think the club were right to make that change at that time. And just that fresh voice and the fresh personality that's come in, that maybe just given the place a lift and a bit of a bounce to it. Um, you know, football is not rocket science. It really isn't. And I think if you can motivate players and really get them up for it, then you you know you do stand you know more chance than others. I think you only have to look in the Premier League now, where. There's no, it's no coincidence that Man City and Liverpool are at the top of the table because they're their managers. The players would run through a brick wall for those guys. Where you look at Man United, where off the pitch, you can imagine there's like divisions in the dressing room where you've got the likes of sort of like your Pogba's in one group and then you might have your Harry Maguire's in another group. You, you know they don't get on. You know there's not that team spirit there. Um, it, it's so obvious. But it's, that is a gift in itself. And I, and I think managing now, um, we all know tactics. We all know how, whether you want to play 4-4-2 or 4-3-3 or 5 at the back or whatever. I, I don't think the tactic side of things necessarily is the major issue. I think it is that man management and, and you know, really tuning into the players and knowing how they tick and getting the best out of them. I mean, Klopp for me is the best out of that. You, you know, he takes someone off and they're fuming, but they still come off and give him a big cuddle because of he's, he just goes and grabs them. And I know he's, he's, a, he's a big guy, so he's got that imposing um, figure about him. But he just literally grabs them, gives them a cuddle, says something to them, and then they're all smiles and they're, you know, they're, mm. you know, happy or, you know, probably not delighted that they've come off, but they know now. I think, again, it, it, it's that change of... Um, era, isn't it, where I think back when I was playing, you wanted to play every minute of every game. You didn't ever want to come off. But I think now players are more used to having that rotational system um, where they're not going to play every minute of every game. They're not going to start every game. So you're not actually being dropped like you were back in the day, but you're, you know, you, you have got that squad rotation because you've got such big squads now and, and you want, you don't want your starting eleven to be picking themselves every week and then having the subs just sort of making the numbers up. You want to, as, as a selfish manager, you would love to have 20 players that could all start for you in, as, a, as a first team starter. And then it's down to them to uh, fight for those positions and you to, to choose horses for courses and, and pick the best players to win certain football matches. Yes, and good points, Matt. The one question that uh, we've asked virtually everyone who's come on the programme for the past few months is, 
is how can a team that looks so good at one stage uh, end up looking so poor and as it happens then finished up looking a bit better again it was such a dram- I mean you probably didn't see many of the the actual games but it was such a dramatic transformation um, that it's it still I think Orient supporters will look back on this this season and, and will still find it almost impossible to comprehend have, have you ever seen a team that People talked about confidence, that, that lost so much confidence and, and just went from one extreme to the other so much. It's crazy, isn't it? And I, and I think that's why we all love football, because it's so unpredictable and you never know what's going to happen. As you say, at the start of the year, it looked like Orient were going to be, um, I wouldn't necessarily say title contenders, but definitely promotion contenders, um, whether it was through automatic or playoffs. And then, as you say, I mean, what did they pick up? Like one point out of a possible 30 or something like that, wasn't it? It was shocking, um, yeah. It was an awful run. And there's got to be a reason for it. And is that because the atmosphere in training every day wasn't great? Is it because the manager was abusing them and having a go at them? Um, is it because he wasn't tough enough <clears> on them and he was letting them get away with making mistakes and not trying hard enough? Um, there's so many things it could have been um, and I suppose with the club and, and you know and uh, Nigel and, and, and Lingy and stuff like that had to make a call on it. And I suppose Lingy's probably um, closer to the action than, than than Nigel. And maybe he spoke to a few players and he and he got the the, the sort of like the idea that it, things weren't right behind the scenes. Um, and I think that you know you, you could see that Lingy's got his finger on the pulse with stuff like that with what happened before with um, with Fletcher when he came in. Um, you know, that, that Lingy realised early doors that it, it, he wasn't the right fit for the club and, and, and made the decision that was that was needed, really. Um, so I suppose the tough thing with Kenny is everyone had such high hopes, didn't they? They all thought that he was the one that was going to bring success back to the club. And I think people were disappointed that he didn't turn out to be the, the success that everyone thought he would have been. Um, but like you say, you make the change, you bring Richie in, Fresh ideas, fresh personality, um, a young manager, hungry manager, wants success, wants to do well himself. Great appointment, you know, as far as I'm concerned. And Martin Ling still gets a bit of stick uh, these days in, in his different role, obviously, but it sounds as if you're, uh, you're someone who really appreciates him and his work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, <laughs> in football, you're always going to get stick, aren't you? That, that, is, that is guaranteed. However, however, however often you get praised for doing something right or winning a game, or you know there's always going to be something negative just around the corner. Um, and, you know, Lingy has done a great job, bearing in mind when he took over, um, and you only have to listen to Nigel's interviews, that when they took over, the club was literally, had nothing, did they? No players signed, so he has built it up. And... Whether the fans appreciate that or not, I don't know. But I, I definitely think that Lingy deserves maybe a lot more credit by the sounds of it than, than he's actually getting. Because, um, you know, without him behind the scenes, the club would be different. And don't get me wrong, obviously, they could go and bring someone else in that could do a good job as well. There are plenty of people out there that are doing that role. But, um, you know, Lingy has been at that club a long, long time. He knows how it, how it sort of ticks and he knows the fans. They know him. Um, and so I suppose I say it's not nice to see, but it is just part of the course. You know, if I came back and did that role, the fans would abuse me. Um, you know, they probably wouldn't want to, but 
Football's all about opinions, isn't it? You, you could sit in a room of 10 people and talk about a game and there would literally be 10 different opinions on that game or what happened or, oh, I wouldn't have done that. That was wrong. That was mm. wrong. Or, you know, it is just... That is, as I said, that is why we love the game of football. Well, that's right. We, get, we so, get it on this show, Matt. We, we, we discuss things and you, you see things on Twitter. What, what are those morons on about and things like that, you know? And what do they know? And you think, well, it's, 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 a, it's a point of view. It, it's here to, we're here to discuss something, a, a match or whatever, and we give a point of view. And some people listening will say they're right and some people will say they're talking, you know, at the other end. And... Um, you know, it's, it's, as you say, it's all opinion. And what we wanted to come on to is, is, is before we go and look back on uh, 21 years ago, is, is, is a change of attitudes, change of, of, of uh, dressing rooms, etc., and attitudes in, in the sport altogether. Um, just before we do that, I mean, would, you mentioned about the managers you played under. How would somebody like Tommy Taylor fare today if he walked into a dressing room now? Would he, would he be able to be what he was back then no not even close i mean it it had the world has changed hasn't it i mean just just with social media and you know you, you just walk around the streets now and or drive around the streets and you just see people are just glued to their screens um they live their lives on a on a, on a device now hmm. um and I, I bumped into a lad um he must have been looking at his phone, was it? <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I bumped into um, a lad called David Perkins. Yeah. Um, so I, I played with da- um, David at Colchester. Mm-hmm. Well, I probably didn't actually play with him. Bear in mind, I only played seven games for Colchester. But uh, anyway, that's, that's another story. Um, but I, I, I was chatting to, um, to David. I was on the train on the way to a, a co- when I was commentating on a game. And he was at, I think he was at Wigan at the time. And he said to me, I can't wait to retire because the dressing room isn't the same anymore. He said, you know, you go in and all these kids are just on their phones. There's no, like, there's no banter like there used to be. And I suppose when he's talking about banter, just like Mickey taking out of each other um, and just, you know, the old school sort of style stuff. He said, like, honestly, he said, I cannot wait to retire. And he, I was like, how sad is that? That, you know, that generation change has caused someone who's had a, you know, a, a pretty good career that they, they can't wait to finish because they're just not enjoying what's going on sort of in, in the dressing rooms now. Um, and uh, I think Harry Redknapp said on TV, you know, the, the days of like the old hairdryer treatment have long gone. You know, you can't talk to players like that now because then they'll just go crying to their agent and then they'll you know, be wanting to leave. And, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I definitely think the... Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that the players now aren't as sort of like tough as they were back then, but I just think that people, you know, we're more aware now of mental health issues and, and everything else. And, um, you know, I, I just think that the world has changed. And, um, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's changed for the worse or the better. It's, it just has changed. And, um, yeah, the, the football, the, the dressing room for sure is a different place than when, you know, I was playing and scoring those goals 21 years ago. There are some positives to it, Matt. As you say, the, the um, awareness of mental health and so on. And, and of course, the very uh, current one, just this last few days, is a Blackpool player, a very young Blackpool player, coming out as gay, which I imagine at, at your time would be unheard of. Um, are you surprised that that's taken so long? 
Yeah, I am. But, it's, you know, I, it, I thought it was brilliant that the, the lad came out and did that. I thought it was really, really brave, as everyone else has said on social media. Um, you know, fair play to the kid. I mean, he, he's gone from, you know, no one's ever heard of him before, and now he's like a household name. Even my wife was talking about him the other day, and bear in mind she uh, hates football and doesn't ever watch it or anything. So, um, you know, it is, it's brilliant that he's, he's gone and done that. And I hope it gives other players the strength to do the same. Um, because there will be loads of lads out there that are in the same boat as him, that are living a life. Um, and you don't need to in today's day and age. I mean, you know, back in my day, if a lad ever come out and said he was gay, honestly, the dressing room would not have cared at all. We would, I, I, you know, obviously, I'm only speaking from my own opinion. I couldn't have given a monkeys what, what their um, sexual, sexual orientation was. As long as they were good at football, they tried hard, and they were professional... They could go and do whatever they want away from the game. I literally would not care. Um, and I think that's the attitude of most players. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all different. We've all got our little quirks and, and whatever, whether that's your personality traits or, or whatnot. Um, but as long as when you turn up to work, that you're on time, you're professional, you work hard, you, you know, you'll try that extra mile to win games for your teammates. That's all you can ask for. Um, so, yeah, fair play to the boy for coming out and, um, and doing that. It's, uh, hopefully, it will be the, uh, the start of, of many. Yeah, I'm slightly surprised to hear you say that. But I mean, um, would there not, we're talking, what, 20 years ago, you say it would have been accepted. Is it not still the case that, that even in that, at that time, dressing rooms could be quite hard places? It's still quite a sort of macho culture and, and yeah, a difficult was. place for and, youngsters and, in particular? Yeah, no, of course. And I think, I think back then, you know, if someone, if someone had come out and, and said they were gay, they would have probably been ribbed about it but not in a, a malicious way but just just in as a bit of fun because ultimately you know you were you were a team right and when you're in that dressing room you might really take the mickey out of someone i mean not be funny the lad used to absolutely hammer me for my hair and stuff like that <laughs> but it wasn't being horrible it was just that was the atmosphere in the dressing room you were just all messing around having fun taking taking the mickey out of each other and it wasn't done maliciously. And I never went home crying, oh, God, I've got stupid curly hair. I'm going to shave it all off. Because I didn't care. And, and the, I knew the boys were only messing around. But, but as long as I went and did my job on a Saturday and I scored the odd penalty and, and we, you know, we won a few games, then they're happy with that. You know? And um, I say, I'm only speaking from my personal experience. But 20 years ago, if you know, whoever in the team had said, I'm, look, 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 lads, I'm gay. I'm like, good on you. Well done for coming out. It would not have, bo- have bothered me in the slightest. Um, and I honestly, I bet mm. if you talk to all the boys um, in the last sort of 20 years that have played, um, maybe you'd have to speak to them off the record to get their honest opinion. But I, I don't think it would have bothered hardly anyone. Um, you know, why would it? it? It really doesn't matter. Yeah, I think for those players as well, probably some of the worry or more of the worry is probably what, what's going to happen in the stands, you know. Is there going to be abuse? Is there going to be, I would say, rather than how their teammates going to react, I would think it's more the abuse in the, in the, on the terraces that are going to worry them more than what their actual teammates would think. Because, you know, I agree. I, I don't think there would be too much reaction from teammates anyway. I think it's more, you know, fear of, 
You know, I'm, the terraces are just going to be on me from the first minute to the last minute of the game. Am I going to be able to cope with it mentally? That kind of thing, really. I think the thing is there, though, Rich, is that it's the same as anything in life. You know, nine out of ten people won't be like that at all. It's, it's always the, yeah, it's always the small it's, percentage, isn't it? It's I'm very surprised it's taken this long. I've yeah. got to be honest. You know, I've seen Gary Lineker say quotes saying there's people oh. he played with and, you know, people I we know. going to say then. <laughs> but, you know, he said people I played with, we knew. But, you know, I just... I'm surprised it's taken this long, but you know I, I agree with everything Matt said there. You know, good on him. It's great to see, um, and and hopefully it's kind of a watershed moment, and, and a lot well, more people feel like they can do it now. Times have changed, Rich, but I, mean, I do remember back just before, before Matt joined uh, Orient, we had Justin Fashioner, who who, yeah, who, who came to the club on loan. He'd been in Scotland and trying to find form again, and I think. Yes, he had some other issues as well. I think he obviously had some mental health issues, and uh, obviously ultimately committed suicide not that long after after that. But when he came to Ireland, I mean, he's a, a very polite fellow, and very very educated, very well-spoken man. He just couldn't find form, um, but he got some terrible stuff. I won't mention who from, but I mean, the, 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 the language in it, whether they, it's sort of macho humour, if you like. I know why they, they were doing it, but they were being very insulting to him, you know, and um, once again, they might have thought it was a laugh, but... It, You're talking about other players in the yeah, dressing room? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. That's, what I, so, that's what I was thinking. Um, of, really. And, you know, one person in particular gave him a, you know, a right, or I'm not getting in the bath with... Blah, 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 you know, and you think, well, you know, the, the, I mean, obviously, ultimately, the lad, um, you know, had too, too many problems to, to cope with, um, and it was very sad. You know, um, and I don't think that would have happened in this day and age. I think, uh, you know, people were a little bit more accepting, perhaps, of, of uh, the differences in people, uh, for want of a better word, and, and uh, we all get on a little bit better, I think. <laughs> but, um, you know, as, as Matt said, I think the, mo the main thing that most supporters care about is, is the fella any good? I mean, w you know, there's been some world-class players that are, that are gay, they just haven't, you know, admitted it at the time, but it's, it's, they've come out since. But uh, you know, um, and by law of averages, most clubs must have somebody there who is. I mean, I, I might be just plucking figure out of the air there, but I would have thought by law of averages, most clubs would have somebody there that he's gay. Um, mm. You know, so we we've all got to move on. But let's let's go away from attitudes then, Matt, and go back 21 years to a to a, a, a semi-final tie. Uh, that saw us pitted against the whole city. Um, was it, you know, better or worse to be drawn away first? Do you think? I know retrospectively we know we won, but you know, in, in your own mind, when the draw came out and you were away first, is that better or worse? I, I, I would always prefer to play away first um, because then, you know, you've got that home advantage in the second leg whether you need to make a goal up or you've got to, you know, you, you've got an advantage from the first game. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I always prefer to, to finish off at home um, because, again, I mean, I suppose that, that night you had there in front of your home fans was way better than the night we had away at Rotherham two years before that. Mm. Um, you know, and, and OK, it was slightly different, wasn't it, where you only went through on penalties. So the game wasn't maybe as exciting and there wasn't as many... Well, there was no goals was there in the Rotherham game. So it was a bit of a dull nil-nil. But even the celebrations, you're only celebrating with, you know, what, a 1,000 fans at the most that would have gone up to Rotherham that night, where, you know, two years later, you're at home in front of a full house at, at Brisbane Road and it's just, it's just a different, um, different animal. You know, even when we went up 
against Oxford. Now, it was brilliant because we had that whole stand. But imagine if we'd have had that game at our place in, you know, and there, there was 10,000 Orient fans there. It would have just been incredible. And I think, um, yeah, I think home advantage does definitely make the difference. Um, I think you only need to see, like, during COVID, some of the weird results that happened, you know, like at Anfield especially. You know, Liverpool lost. How many games did they lose on the trot? Because there were no fans in the, in the ground. Mm. Um, you know, Celtic lost the league title because there were no fans in the ground. This, you know, th- these... These fans drive their players on. That's what they're there for, to encourage their players and to make them, um, you know, win and, and, and run around and make tackles and stuff like that. Um, you know, when they're not there, there's no pressure. And there's no, you know, it, it does change the um, sort of, I suppose, the, the atmosphere and the vibe of, of, of the games. So, um, you know, I, I think home advantage is a real big, a big uh advantage point and I think so, even looking at yesterday's game you know Sheffield yeah. United and, and Nottingham Forest um, you know again it was a full house there and I, and I know how noisy that crowd is um, having played in front of them and um, it brings added pressure but it's uh, you know it is intimidating for an away team to go there and, and be deafened by that noise so um, yeah for me home, home advantage in the second leg is always a, uh, the best opportunity all right. Well, you you you've gone away and you've lost one nil. Now, do you recall how you were all feeling at the end of that one? Yeah, we were disappointed um, because we didn't feel that we deserved to lose that game. Um, when you, I suppose when you look back and see the the highlights, they had a couple of chances, but then so did we. And but we always knew we had goals in the team. We had sort of good attacking players, and we didn't feel that at one nil down after the first leg we had anything to worry about and that that evening we knew we were going to come out all guns blazing and really take the game to them and I think we did that and I don't recall being under pressure in that game at all I didn't ever feel that we were up against it at all Mm. and having the crowd geeing us on and and trying to uh, get us back into the game but then it it helped you know when we got that early goal through a header from from Steve Watts. You say early um, goal. That was a, that was about a minute before half time. It, it, it was a great goal. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was actually um, chatting to Watsy today. He yeah. gave he gave me a call. You know, bearing in mind that, like you say, twenty one years ago, he's a teammate of mine, and we still we still speak now. So That's it, lovely. Good. I mean, uh, we were aided yeah. and betted there. I mean, that was a poor old Kevin Francis. He was like a newborn foal that evening, wasn't he? He was trying to stand. His <laughs> his legs were everywhere, but on the floor, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and we got that opening goal. As you say, right just before half time with Steve Watson. It was a good header too um, and uh, Scott Houghton wasn't it with the cross and um, and uh, the Watts with the header but then we go into that second half and it really was you know uh, you know nip and tuck wasn't it and uh, they made that substitution hole and um, we'd still got our substitutes on the bench I think Tommy felt we had enough out there um, and the legs weren't that tired but I mean your recollection of that winning goal because it was absolutely out of nowhere wasn't it yeah, and, I, and I've said this before, but I think about five minutes before I scored, I got the ball in a very similar position, and Steve Castle like went mad at me because I passed it. <laughs> and he was like, next time you get it, bloody shoot. He goes, if you don't shoot, you don't score. And so those sort of words were still ringing in my ear when the ball came to me. Um, and it, I suppose you look at it now, and the, the right midfielder should have sort of tucked in, but he thought I oh, maybe was going to pass it out wide because I did the last time. Um, and then it just sort of the gap opened up and opened up, and and it was one of those where I just thought, well, 
Steve told me to have a shot. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go. And luckily, I just caught it perfectly, and it and it went in. And you know, I, I suppose I always pride myself, or I did, on my technique of uh, you know whether it's passing or long range passing, short range passing. Um, you know, I, I thought I had a fairly good left peg on me. So when I am shooting from distance. I always fancied to you know, sort of hit the target and maybe do something. I never thought in my wildest, wildest dreams it would end up in the top corner and we'd still be talking about it 21 years later. Um, but, you know, I'm very proud of the fact we are. Even when I watch it back now, I'm like, bloody hell, I, I was actually quite good, didn't I? <laughs> well, um, Barry so, Hearn, when we had him on here, he said that to one of his cheer-up things, if he's feeling a bit blue, he said he, he puts a couple of things on the, on the laptop to watch. He said one of them is he's Matt Lockwood scoring against Hull. Yeah, and I mean, I, I actually bumped into Barry up in Scotland about three years ago, four years ago, something like that. And he was playing golf and uh, he said to the guys he was playing with that um, I was involved in two or three of the, his most favourite um, memories in sport, not just football, but in the whole of sport. I was involved in uh, yeah, two, or, two or three of those events. Um, and I mean, even in that game, I, I think there's um, sort of like edited highlights on YouTube somewhere. Um, you're probably commentating on it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. for my sins. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and um, afterwards, him, him and his wife are up in the state and in the stand dancing away. And uh, yeah, Barry never hid his emotions, did he? We you all knew what he was feeling, and uh, it, that, it, the night was just incredible. Um, it was a shame that that wasn't the game that sort of got you promoted. Um, we had to go obviously and lose in the playoff final, didn't we? But um, no, it, it was it was brilliant, and I still look back on that night with you know massive massive pride and um you know not just for me and my goal but just for the for the, for the whole team that we did so well to get through to the final it's just a shame we uh, fell at the final hurdle yeah i mean out of the 99 and 01 uh, playoff finals i mean personally i found the 1991 the, the hardest to bear because uh, i just thought on the day against blackpool we had a couple of chances we if we not hit the post and it had gone in and go 3-2 up, it might have been different. But once they got their noses in front, I thought it just went away from us. And, you know, one of those. But Scum thought, well, I always felt, we, you know, we should have won that match. We had the better players, a better team, everything, you know. And um, for me, 99 was worse than 01. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I felt that Blackpool were the better team. And, uh, you know, they, they, they were better than us and they, and they beat us fair and square. Um, you know, I mean, I suppose from my point of view, I'd been out injured quite a bit before that. I think I, that was when I split my head open and I was, so I, I hadn't played for six weeks leading up to the playoff games. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't sort of fully match fit. Um, and it's funny actually, so I, I commentated on the Preston Millwall game about a month ago and sitting behind me doing Radio Lancashire was Brett Ormerod, who actually scored the fourth goal in that game. <laughs> and there's a picture of us both sliding in um, and him scoring and obviously going off celebrating. And then me just sitting on my backside in the six-yard box with um, my shorts up my, my bum. Um, and I'm like, you know, but the reason I didn't get back and mark, defend him, some people would be, be like, Matt, it's because you're a crap defender. But my, I was just, I, I was getting cramped. Because I wasn't, I wasn't match fit, and you know the game with the pressure on it. Um, I was, yeah, I was just struggling towards the end of the game. I couldn't, couldn't even run. So trying to run back and cover and stop the opposition scoring when you haven't played for six weeks prior to that, it was, uh, it was tough. But listen, right. you know, 
Blackpool were a good team. And I think, I, I think was Richie well in Spain in that game? I think he was, he was, he was yeah. Right, yeah. we have got a, a big Orient quiz coming up uh, for the, throughout the close season that we're going to start in earnest next week. But you know what? Unknowing to you, you're going to be the first competitor. <laughs> and we've got 10 questions, Matt, on the season 2000 to 2001, and we're going to whistle through them in about five minutes flat. Are you ready? Right. Right. Yeah, go on. Here's question one. I know you're ready for this. What position did the O's finish in? In the league? Yeah. Um, I think we finished sixth. Fifth. Unlucky. Right. Uh, number two. We got off to a winning start in August, but who did we play away in that first game? Again, who didn't play away no, in the first who, game? Who did we play away in the first game of the season? A winning start. No idea. Oh, Plymouth. And we won 1-0 with Carl Griffiths getting the winner. What was right, the, okay. Yeah, what was the colour of the kit? I didn't write these questions, by the way. Don't blame me. What was the colour of the kit, the top? And who were the sponsors? Say again, so what colour of the kit? And who were the sponsors? You can get a half a point for each. Uh... Hmm. I'm, I'm tempted to try and go go on my phone and Google it. And see it. No, <laughs> no it not, cheating. Um, yeah, was it not Matchroom? It was Matchroom was for half a point. And what colour was the top? What colour was the top? Yeah. Or red? Hey, point. There we are. You got it all. Right. I was going to say, that, that, that is an easy one, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> we got to the third round of the FA Cup that season. Who did we play? Um, was that... The no, I was going to say that wasn't the year we. Who did we play then? Was that the year? Was that year we played Spurs? It was well done. Who went on to win the FA Cup? This is a general question. Who went on to win the FA Cup that season? No idea. Liverpool. Yes, it was. <laughs> they beat Arsenal in the final two-one. <laughs> Name any of the three teams who gained automatic promotion in the two thousand and two thousand and one season. So. Um, Carlisle? No, it was Brighton, Cardiff and Chesterfield. Right, now, who right, okay. was our leading goal scorer? Uh, and a bonus, um, if you get the actual amount of uh, goals he scored. Cole Griffiths? Correct. 12? No, 14, but good effort. Uh, which goalkeeper made the most league appearances that season? Ashley Bayes. Correct. You're doing really well here. Name any of our League Cup opponents that season. Sorry, say that again? Name any of the League Cup opponents that season. I, I, sorry, not the best line. I didn't hear that either. Right, League Cup. Who did we play in the League Cup? Um, was that Newcastle? Correct. Yeah, wow, you're doing really well here. And the final question, what minute did you, Matt Lockwood, score against Hull City? Yes. Eh? What's, what, did what, you say? what minute did you score? What minute? Yes. Oh, no idea. <laughs> you did, you swore then, didn't you? <laughs> Seven, six, was it 67, 68? 70. Unlucky. But you scored, Matt, six. We were nearly out of time. We're going to say, Matt, well done. Thanks for joining us. Six uh, goes on to the uh, leaderboard. You are in the lead because you're the only competitor so far. <laughs> Lovely to speak to you, Matt, and we'll catch you soon, mate. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. It was a pleasure. Take care. Bye.
Well, that was Matt. Uh, thanks, guys, for joining us, both of you. And uh, thanks for listening, folks. And we'll leave you with the tune that they're all talking about. Are they? They are. Barry Galvin, E10. We'll catch you next week, folks. Ta-da. We're not a city. We're not a town. We're the only one of us around. And you know where we can be found when Saturday comes again. We'll be trying to do our best to cheer all those on who wear the best. Whatever challenge, whatever test, we'll lay an Orion from E10. Lay an Orion from E10. This is our club and we are proud So sing it up and sing it loud We were formed in 1881 The clans and Orion and so begun The old story and on it runs We're like an Orion from E10 Whatever challenge has come our way The only faithful are here to stay